Hello, everyone. We are back for another episode of the Charity Coffee Chats. And uh, it has been, I can't believe that we are already like into December. Christmas season is right around the corner. And it has been a crazy busy time, I think, for both Crystal and I. So, I mean, that's the time of year in the nonprofit sector, right? Not only are you uh, at events, you're trying to squeeze in things like Christmas parties and trying to balance, you know, getting ready for many, uh, getting ready for year end, thinking about that dreaded audit word and trying to get budgets and everything approved. Uh, it's it's just a crazy time of year, but uh, I know you were away for a little bit, Crystal, so welcome back. And uh, I'm glad that we're able to sit down today and, and chat uh, Again, life in the nonprofit sector. How was? Uh, how were your trips? They were so good. We had a family getaway and then four days back at work. And then our agency was a partner with a few other Central Alberta agencies that hosted our provincial conference in Edmonton. So we had a little bit of a hiatus of podcasting, but I'm really excited to be back. Um, and we came with a bucket full of ideas for the podcast yeah. from, so, from the conference. Yeah. So before we dive in, I, I, I need to ask, there's, there's probably a really big pressing question I have for you. What is this I'm reading about a nacho burger? Oh my goodness. This is the best thing ever. Yeah, so, tell me about it. It, it <laughs> Like it, I've seen the photos and it looks I am going to think of how to get this burger to Tim. That is going to be my next <laughs> mission. So Cilantro and Chive is a pretty famous restaurant in our community and in Alberta. Um, they're pretty wild renowned for their interesting and amazing epic food. They do a charity mission for Burger of the Month. So they've raised a lot of money and they have a celebrity chef each month. And then the celebrity chef creates the burger with their elite chefs. And we get to choose a charity for the month that the proceeds go to. So I was honored to be chosen for the celebrity chef. I don't think I'm much of a celebrity or a chef. So, so put those things together, but uh, they ask you all the things that you love in your life and try to put it all into a burger. So the nacho burger has Doritos inside and out. So that's a little hint to the world of my eating and it is delicious. And I've had many people try it. I think it's going to make it to the real menu. It's pretty popular. So there we go. So, so by the end of the month, like plus or minus three nacho burgers in, in your diet, like you think you're going to surpass and eat, eat nacho burger number four or. I'm at two right now. My staff okay. had one yesterday, but I had just had one the day before. So I took a day off. So I, I think I'll probably have five. And I'm also, you know, trying to get fit for a wedding in my future for my daughter's wedding. So I don't know if nacho burgers go with this, but uh, but it's all for charity. So, you know what? And I hear that when you're eating for charity, the calories don't count. So don't. That's, that's, that's at least a rumor, right? That's what we tell each other. We tell exactly. each other. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance, uh, so what, sorry, what was the restaurant again? Cilantro and Chive? Cilantro and Chive here in Lacombe, and they have one in Red Deer as well. Perfect. So if you haven't had a chance, hop on their Facebook page, check out this nacho burger. Like, 
I feel like I need a napkin just looking at the photo. Like it was cheesy and like I want to say ooey and gooey, and that's probably not the best way to describe it. But it just it it was everything I wanted to see in a in a burger. And if you like taco salad, then you will love this burger. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. But you do need a fair stack of napkins to get through it. Excellent. So now that now that I'm hungry, I guess we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna dive into the, you know why we're here today. Uh, and so you you mentioned you were at a provincial conference and and how so this podcast is gonna be a little bit different than our normal ones. Uh, how did this topic come together? I was asked to present a couple sessions. Um, the first one I did was a board blitz session. So it was almost like board member speed dating. And it was an excellent session and a lot of networking. And we left with a lot of things in our toolbox that we can have to be a better board. And then right after that session, everyone followed me across the hall and we had our board director masterclass. And so at the beginning of that masterclass, I asked everybody to write one question they didn't want to leave unanswered before the end of the session. Well, the session was only an hour and a half and it went by super fast and we weren't able to get to the parking lot questions. So it's better now because two brains are better than one. So you agreed to help me conquer and hack all of these questions that came from the attendees of my conference. We had about 90 people in my session. Most of them were board directors, some of them were staff. And so it's a great mixture of questions. So we hope that we will be able to share this link and everybody will learn um, from, and a lot of the questions were repeated you know, over and over. So I think we all have the same questions to answer um, when it comes to being a high performing board. So thank you for agreeing to help me hack these questions. And I'll start with you first. The first question that was asked in a few different ways, which came to me as a surprise and shocking how many times this question was asked out of these 90 delegates was what are how do you know the agency's mandate and mission so what is the mandate and mission for your charity or your not-for-profit that is a red flaggy question for me uh i think i thought deeply about it and i think this is a good realization for us directors that we maybe need to do a better job in this area onboarding or uh, training our board members. So I am going to pose this to you. Um, some of the questions were worded, what's the mandate? Uh, what are ways to help our board understand the mission? And how do we communicate the mandate and mission? So I'm going to throw that question at you. And, you know, I, I think it's an interesting one. And I think it's, you know, in some ways, not as surprising as it probably should be. And I, I say that because I think, you know, first off, I look at who makes up a board, right? And you you kind of have, I would say, three groups of people. And and I I don't mean any of this out with any form of disrespect. You know, you have the you have the the lifers or you have the people who are incredibly passionate about the organization and have been involved in in many different ways and have probably sat on the board for many many years and that is their way of giving back to the organization that they're really passionate about 
you know, and I and I say that, right? It's not uncommon that you have these directors who've maybe been on the board five, 10, 15, in some cases, 20 years. And it's their way of being able to contribute and, and support a cause that they're passionate about. I think you then have, you know, the, the people who are there who are, um, were probably recruited by an executive director or recruited by a staff member or another board member because they have a skill set that is valuable to the board, but really don't have the experience of being on the board, right? They they live in the operations side of the world, but don't necessarily understand the role of you being there in a governance in a governance sense. And then you have the third part who I who I always classify as, you know, they are the they're there for the resume. They're there to they're there to gain the experience to be able to tackle, you know, whether it's uh, may, you know, maybe applying for a job they want or to gain experience to go to school. They're, they're there to help um, build their skill set. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but but again, they're not necessarily there because they they understand or are experienced in the role of governance. I also think you have a lot of organizations who have fantastic brand recognition, but horrible brand retention. And I'm going to use my time as Big Brothers as Big Sisters as an example. We had, you know, we had a lot of board members who started with the organization who have heard of Big Brothers Big Sisters. They support Big Brothers Big Sisters. But once they were in, we actually realized they really had zero clue on what we did. So, you know, when we talk about the fact of what is our mandated mission, I think you have you have a lot of people who you know, could understand in a very vague roundabout way, explain to an organization what you do. But I think most people, and and this is probably where the role of the executive director is important, is preparing your board with that 30 second, one minute um, speech that really kind of can drill down to why do you do what you do? Why is it that you are putting in many, many long hours to give back to the community. And, you know, with with Big Brothers Big Sisters, you know, it it kind of drills down to we're here to provide the self, you know, skills and confidence of youth through mentorship. Um, you know, I, I think about, you know, this is an exercise that that I'm undertaking with with my team at at Scouts right now as well, right? For many, many years, people know who Scouts is and what Scouts Canada does, but we're also beyond just what Scouts was for many people growing up. So it's how do we drill down that core message of of why we do what we do? And and I think that's just work that all organizations are going to have to undertake. And how do you build that into, how do you build that into your board meetings? And, you know, it might be something as simple as starting every meeting with that question so you know on on when i was working and to some they're going to cringe with this comment because i recognize it's not necessarily the role of the executive director um but when i worked with the board president to develop the agenda for board meetings at the top of every agenda was how are the decisions we make today going to build the self-confidence and self-esteem of northern bc youth so that it was front and center to the board that every decision we make needs to go through that lens. 
And I think that's a conversation is too often we get into the habits at board meetings of talking about the, the transactional operational needs. Yes, we approve the financial statements. Yes, we approve this policy. Thumbs up to staff. You're doing a great job. Here's the HR report. We're adjourning for another meeting. And we need to keep focused on the lens of every decision we make needs to be able to drive back to that why. We're here to, you know, we're here to create and build the self-esteem of Northern BC youth. Is the decision we're making today going to help do that? I, that was a really rambly way of yeah. of saying, drill it down, keep focused, um, and and revisit it probably more than you ever think you're going to need to, um, but but keep focused on the why. I love that, and I think so often we go into the meeting, approve the agenda, get to the nitty picky of the items on the list, and forget the purpose of making the decisions. And I think highlighting that at the top will set the tone and put everybody in the mindset of the mission so that's a great answer um and i think it speaks loudly that a lot of us aren't doing this well and can improve that for sure now for question number two i think you're going to ask me tim sometimes we we go off in tangents or we we start to get kind of off track and where the conversation is going. Um, what are some techniques that you have used to support a board when all of a sudden the meeting is is going off the rails? And, and how do you get everyone back focused on, on the matters at hand? That's a good question. And this was a question asked several times by the delegates. And so I think it comes down to the respect of time. And I am re-looking at this with my own board right now. And over the years, um, sometimes the, the meetings are two, two and a half hours and they go smoothly for a while. And then things go off track and they start to get a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And I think this is a really important one for board recruitment and board retention to be respectful of their time. If we're promising that the meeting's two hours, two and a half, I would never make a meeting on purpose more than two and a half hours however you know as well as i do all of a sudden it's 8 30 it's 9 30. Um, so some strategies that i've used that are really helpful to work with the board chair or the board president with is time managing the sections and that will help us plan the agenda and we'll know right away if we've added too much to the agenda Sometimes it's our fault that we're making the agenda too large, and sometimes it's um, the stealing of airtime, I like to call it. And we, it's like Pandora's box. When we open up one thing, it leads to another and another. So I, I'd say the easiest thing you can control is the agenda and how many items you have on it. And it helps the person that's on the agenda to know, okay, I have five minutes to speak on this. We have 10 minutes to make this decision. If the sections or that point that you're discussing goes way deeper, then you can table it to a parking lot to another meeting. And that is a really good practice. Um, recently, I am 
I have I've done the timing process in the past and sort of forgot about it, to be honest, until the last couple of meetings ran very long. And so just respecting the board members time, sticking to the agenda and timing your sections. That's a really good one. Um, also, you can have very vocal board members who have great ideas and and are very comfortable sharing. You can have board members who are intrinsically quiet and also have great ideas, but they just don't get any airtime. And so it's a good practice to go around the room and make sure everybody has an opportunity, call them by name, give them an opportunity to talk. One of the questions dove a little bit deeper, how do you cut off people in a respectful way that kind of are owning the floor? That's very difficult too, but you just have to do it in a kind and respectful way and just say thank you for all of those ideas. We're going to stop there and let you kind of pass the talking stick kind of idea. And um, but the working with your board president to do those practices, some board presidents are very comfortable managing that kind of environment. Some people don't have any experience in managing that kind of environment. So but once the board is trained, they know we're going to go around the, the round table. We know that every single person is going to say their piece or, or have nothing to say and pass it on. Then it, they get conditioned to that practice and it becomes more efficient. But I think the trick is to just keep, keep that going on consistently. And then your board meetings will be shorter. You're going to have higher attendance and you're going to have better um, retention as well. Do you have no, anything think, to add to that? No, I think those are great. And I think, again, I think the board chair plays such a critical role in that. And again, mm -hmm. I think, you know, a couple a couple tricks I've done is one is on the agenda, basically identify, is this is this something that is on the agenda today for the purpose of a decision or is it something that's on the purpose of discussion or update? And if it's a discussion or update, then you know, that's where the board chair can step in and say, okay, you know what, like, we're not looking to make a decision today. Mm -hmm. You know, we, Tim's heard the feedback. We'll take that in consideration as we bring back it at a future meeting. Um, you know, I also, I also think, you know, a really good example, I think, of a conversation that the board chair has had before is also, you know, as, as things start to go around in circles and people now have spoken multiple times, you know, yes, technically we follow Robert's rules, but it I think most board tables is fairly informal. You know, as a board chair, uh, you know, had a line that they quite often said is okay, we have we've heard from I think we've heard from everybody on this topic. Is there anything new you wish to add? If not, we need to we should move forward. Mm -hmm. And and that kind of is a good way to wrap up, wrap up the conversation. I would say the other piece that you know, you talk about the fact that board meetings get quite lengthy. So one of the one of the conversations with the board that I've been on before was, you know, what is the expectation of the board? And we all agreed that, you know, we noticed that at about the two hour mark, people started leaving, people started checking out. So we had made the commitment that we would keep our board meetings to no more than two hours in length. Saying that, then the commitment that I had to make as executive director was you will get you will get the board agenda one week prior to the board meeting with all of the information you need. And as your expectation as a board member to do that homework 
and come prepared to discuss. We're not we're not there to provide briefings. We're not there to, you know, of course, if you have questions, we'll answer it. But you're you're coming informed to be able to make that decision. And we then were able to keep our board meetings to on average about 90 minutes. But that takes that takes the executive director owning and committing that it's time to uh, make sure that your board packages are out on time and then making sure that board members are coming prepared. Exactly. That is a great goal. It is my goal every month to have that one week window. It is so hard sometimes, especially if you need reports and, and things like that. But if they don't have that one week's notice, I find then you are doing a lot of briefing or taking time to read the financials and things like that in the meeting. So that does streamline the meetings. And I think if the board chair um, you know, speaks last and also usually doesn't vote unless it's a tie, then they have more attention in steering the meeting um, because then they are more engaged in steering it than than leading it. Do you know what I mean? So I think those are some great strategies for sure. So that brings us to question three. We're just fire rocketing these off. So another big question was around funding. What are funding and priorities? What are ways to get funding? Where do funding sources come from? And that sort of thing. So that's a big, big question. But for a few answers or to lead, you know, to lead the board in a direction of they feel comfortable, what is, how would you tackle the question of funding? Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, it's it's different for every organization. And I think the reality is, is most nonprofits don't have regular sustainable funding coming in unless you're government funded. So we have, again, you know, thinking about most organizations, I would say, you know, probably 20 to 30 percent are made up from grants. Um, about the same are generated from uh whether it's fundraising corporate sponsorships uh a large portion is going to be from your individual donors and then there's also some form of of miscellaneous revenue uh i think as a board it's important for you to understand where your funding is and to give some thoughts to how do you diversify your funding you know we talk about the fact that we are entering into a recession uh potentially here in canada so if all of your donation if your whole funding is is reliant on individual giving and all of a sudden families or individuals don't have the same level to donate then you know as an organization are going to be in a really challenging time when i was thinking about my time with big brothers big sisters one of the things we did was really start to look at how do we generate our own revenue in non-traditional ways and then a lot of that is you know that idea of social enterprising where we we got to the point where 52 to 55%, depending on the year, of our annual revenue was actually generated through our social enterprising. So then the rest was able to be made up of fundraising grants, individual giving, and then a large portion of it was recurring, regular, sustainable revenue. Um, and that allowed us to really put the foot on the gas and, and continue to grow the agency. So I think from the board's lens, understanding how your revenue is generated is, is critical and starting to have conversations about how do you start to diversify 
those revenue offerings. I think, again, before you dive too far into that conversation, also get an understanding of restrictions that may be in place by some of your donors. So again, for example, I know uh, there are still some regions, I believe, where the United Way uh, may have blackout periods in terms of, of fundraising. Uh, so again, I think you just want to make sure that you have a good understanding of, of your funding, what restrictions may come with that funding, and then looking at how do you develop a plan. And again, that plan or strategy is not going to change overnight. But I think it is a conversation that the board should regularly be having in terms of how do we make sure that we are generating revenue in the best possible ways. That's a great focus. And I love those answers. And stay tuned if you want to dive deeper into that area. Um, our podcasts right now, our series is on uh, fundraising and donors and that sort of thing. So stay tuned for more information on that for sure. So we're going now to question four. Question, question number four. Uh, so how do you recruit and successes that you may have had in recruiting board members? So this is probably one of the most important, you know, things of a succession plan for an agency. It's important to have veterans on your board. It's important to have um, new, fresh ideas and, and a combination. Some of the best strategies that I have had or boards I've been on have had are having committees. Um, so you can have multiple committees that board members sit on, but can have community members at large. So if you're recruiting community members on those boards or on those committees, they kind of get to job shadow another board member and work in a smaller capacity with a very lower time commitment, a lower level of you know responsibility, but they get to be engrossed in your agency, they get to be in love with your mission, and they could be really strong potential board members because they are already giving back in a governance uh, you know, position. And so those could be potential uh, board members. Of course, um, always word of mouth, that's the best possible way. I think it's important for organizations to have, you know, a map of, you know, di different categories that you need to fill different pillars of expertise. And that can be um, also diversity, making sure that, you know, you have different genders, you have different ages, you have different ethnicity on your board um, and that sort of thing. So you, you have a well-rounded um, set of a diversified people on your board that can bring different perspectives but i think you know recruiting people that are already passionate about your agency and the mission they've been a volunteer they've been a committee member um, and board members recruiting board members is always a great way too although you know that that is the dream but it always doesn't happen so those are some of the ways that i feel are very good. I mean, if if you have strong donors and you're building those really strong relationships and someone's, you know, very committed to your agency financially, um, that could be a potential board member that, you know, already believes in your mission, 
and they're putting their their funds and their donations to the mission and um and so people that strongly align with with your mission and beliefs and and want to make a difference at a governance level is there any items that you can add to that i i mean i would also say like i think it's it's incredibly important just to make sure you have that good mix on a board and mm -hmm. Uh, make sure that you, I would also say, like, don't be afraid to sometimes go outside the organization. Like, I think, you know, there, there are certain skill sets that are always valuable on the board. Um, you know, having somebody with a, a financial background, a, an accountant or a bookkeeper mm -hmm. is always incredibly valuable. Um, and I think, I think part of that is then as a board doing a little bit of a skills matrix, like what, what's the ideal board people we need? And then going out and looking for those and, and mm -hmm. putting it out to your membership. I would also say I I always walked a very fine line in terms of what role I played as an executive director in recruiting board members because ultimately they're they're the employer. And I feel like it puts you in a little bit of an awkward situation where you're kind of handpicking your boss. Mm -hmm. But I mean, maybe that maybe that's a dream too. I know that is real. They're going to be your boss. They're going to, yeah. going to you, you answer to them. I think it's really important as well to have that skill set. You know, do you have sort of a marketing mind? Do you have a business person on your board that represents your downtown businesses? Um, it's always nice to have a lawyer on your board. It's nice to have a retired person on your board because they'll have lots of time to give to the board and filling those pillars um, and, and just really diversifying the skill set. I've, I've come upon agencies that have had um, or been hired by agencies that have all like-minded people. So if it's a social serving agency, they're all social workers or teachers and they're all the same, um, come from the same field. And that's a very difficult mindset because as an executive director, you're leaning on them for their real life experience, their educational experience. So the bigger mix, the better, because if everybody just agrees to everything all the time, you might not have the healthiest decision-making process. All right. And a question for you, Tim, on communication. How do you communicate with the board? What are the most effective strategies? How much information or how do you decide what to give to the board? And lastly, how do you um, communicate and collaborate between the board members and the agency? I mean, I, I think probably my initial approach is always, and, and you know, again, kind of as a joking tone, but also kind of not, you know, earlier we talked about the fact that the board is your boss. Um, you know, I think about my expectations with my team and, and I like to live in a world of no surprises. So, you know, in terms of what information I share with the board, uh, you know, if I believe that there's an incident that is going to show up on Facebook or they could be asked about at the grocery store, I make sure the board is well versed and, and uh, has the information they need. And, and sometimes it's, here's the information you need, and here's a couple speaking notes. And we really can't say much, so please don't. Um, you know, at board meetings, I'm also a big believer in if you don't have information, you make up your own. And I believe that I would rather the board either have the messaging of the agency or know you know and can speak to something rather than being like oh i don't know that's a surprise 
because every time a board member does that, it erodes confidence in the organization. So again, sometimes to the board, it's, I know this is an operational decision. This is the decision I've made. Here's why. Um, and it's also just keeping an open line of communication between myself and the board chair. So sometimes, you know, the board chair should know the most of what's going on. And then sometimes it's, is this something that needs, do you think the rest of the board should know? Nope, good. Okay, I'm leaving it with you then. Sometimes if it's yes, okay, great. Can you please communicate this with the board? Uh, or do you need me to? In terms of the, you know, on the flip side, in terms of the the board staff relationship or board organization relationship, I also think the executive director has a critical role to play in instilling confidence in the board. So I say that is sometimes a board will make a decision that you as an executive director don't agree with. It's still your job to go and execute that decision. So going into staff meetings and saying, well, this is a dumb decision, but this is what the board decided to do. It's not going to help that decision. Like, again, once you've, once you've received your direction from the board, you need to execute that in any way you, you would as if it was your own decision. I also think you need to find opportunities for the board to have some face time with the team. So, you know, we did we did twice a year meetings, usually involving a dinner or something. Uh, one was very much like, a, here's an update on the strategic plan. We tied it into board orientation. So each department did a five minute presentation about their work. And then we did one at Christmas, which was completely celebratory. Like, let's have a meal. Let's celebrate the year. Staff then left, and the board went into their board meeting following. Um, and it's the same thing. I think I think giving your board president face time in the media. Uh, so you know, if there's a really big, exciting announcement, um, have your board president do the media for it, because again, it's it kind of gets you out of the news a little bit of the, as the executive director, and it really just celebrates uh, the the great work you're doing. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the check presentations and the announcements and should have a variety of staff, um, hopefully board members if they can, um, because you want the donors to be attached to the mission and not the person. So because that's a high risk, you know, situation, if the donors are attached to the person and the person leaves, then that, you know, puts the agency at risk. So those are some great, great thoughts. Now, just to um, close, we have some fire rocket questions that we're going to do that weren't really assigned categories, but there's some doozies. So we're going to go through them and you can shoot off an answer and I'll shoot off an answer and we'll try to keep it short and sweet. But um, I think there's about seven to get through. So I'll start with you. Um, how, let's see, the random questions, how to deal with board members that don't get the big picture? I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's reminding the board, you know, that your your role is governance and you're here to do what's best on behalf of the whole organization. And at sometimes as well, you kind of just have to go with a coalition of the willing. So, you know, if if all of a sudden the board makes a decision, that's, the decision that's made and and you kind of got to move on and and just do what you can to bring that person along. Mm -hmm. I love that. I would answer that with 
um, giving opportunities to job shadowing programs, volunteering programs, um, you know, go, you know, put your feet in some boots and <laughs> go, go do the walking in the programs. And, and that's a really fast way to um, know the big picture. All right. You got question number two. How do you fit it all in? That is a very, that's a double-edged sword question. To be honest, um, if you, you have a good team and you're, you know, you're hiring high-performing people, you should be able to delegate. And uh, sometimes as leaders, we may have the ideas, but we may need to leverage our um, team's ideas and have them execute um, some of the ideas. But fitting it all in is, is difficult as a not-for-profit we all work more than we should. We all give more than we should. Um, you know, we volunteer a lot of our time outside of the seven or eight hours we're paid, but that's because it's passion that's driving us. And uh, but fitting it all in is difficult, but if you have the right players and you learn to delegate and schedule properly, you should be able to accomplish it. And number three, is there an ideal number of years a board member should stay on the board? That's a great question. Uh, I, you know, I think, I think you're going to see a lot and a lot of boards uh, bring in some form of term limit. Uh, I, I, six years is quite often a common one, like three two-year terms. I would also say though you then potentially are losing people who still have something to give. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's a magic number, but I also think it's going to be the best to, you know, have these conversations with the board members and find out, you know, where they're at. Are they, are they starting to feel stale? Um, do they still, are they still passionate about the cause and, you know, don't show people the door just because they've been there for so, for a certain number of years. Um, but also talk about the importance of, of transition and new blood. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a really fine balancing act. Yeah. I find that the three, two year terms is my favorite after all these years of serving or working for a board of directors. Um, one, it's easier to recruit because it doesn't sound like such a life sentence, but it's enough that you can still make the six years and those are incredibly valuable uh, board members. Okay, the next one's for you. So what kind of accountability do boards have and to whom? This is a great question. I think, number one, they would be most accountable to the stakeholders and uh, and the funders and any governing body that they're representing. Um, but I think they're also accountable to each other in the community and to the staff. And so how to be accountable. When I was diving into this, um, I found that some board directors or some board presidents keep kind of a tracking sheet. How many board members, or how many meetings did each board member come to? Um, how many times did they volunteer in a program? Did they come to the AGM? And it's not to pick apart anyone that missed a meeting or or was unable to attend something, but it's just a good visual for to know where how engaged your board is and, and what the commitment they're showing is. And that's accountability as well. So do you have any good hacks for this one? 
I mean, also, I think it's just ultimately, again, going back to the why, is you're accountable to the clients in which you're serving. And I think that's the important thing to keep top of mind is, again, who you're serving and, and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, where your passion is driven from, for sure. Okay, now for team building. What are some ideas of building a strong team, especially with a multi-district agency? Yeah, and I I think, again, we, we know that teams who have strong cultures are also quite often high-performing teams. So I think I think that team building is important. So maybe to to summarize and very, very quick is go back and check out our culture code series. I think, you know, we had the one episode that uh, in particular with Heather Ferguson, who talked a lot about how she built a culture in a remote uh, team environment. And she gave some really good suggestions. Uh, I think it is about taking that time to build the team. Um, and I could ramble on forever about this. So better yet, just go back and listen to that episode. And I think uh, it will answer that question perfectly. Perfect. I will only add, this is a relentless, ongoing action that the leaders of your organization have to be focused on is building the team and through multifaceted ways. But our whole Culture Code series will, will be the best hacks for that. All right, you're up. So what is, the, what is the most challenging thing when it comes to working for a board? This is hard because it depends which board in my lifetime we're talking about. So I think it can change. Some of the challenges I have had um, when working for a board, I've, I've been super blessed to work for elite boards. If I ever had challenges, it would probably be mostly focused around trust. And, you know, boards are usually 10 to 12 people. And as an executive director, you're their only employee. And you're kind of carrying a lot of the weight of the world on your back. And so trusting your board is essential um, and them trusting you. And I think um, the one thing that is always top of mind for me is taking care of the people I'm in charge of. And I always wish and hope for all executive directors to have wonderful boards that keep that in top of mind for their executive directors that they are taking care of and of the executive director in a lot of ways, but checking in, making sure, you know, they're healthy and that they're not burnt out and, and you have one person to take care of and that would be my only hope for all executive directors, but I have had great boards to work for over the years. Do you have anything to add to that? How do you have any challenges that come to mind? Oh, I can think of a few. I, uh, I, you know, I think again is working for a board can be incredibly rewarding because you get to work with some really amazing and diverse and passionate people. It can also be incredibly frustrating at times, especially when decisions are made that are kind of different than what you would make. And I think the key part there is remembering that at the end of the day, everyone's on the same team yeah. and that, you know, it's their job to make difficult decisions and you just sometimes need to have to, you know, accept it and, and move on. And that's sometimes easier said than done, but keeping that reminder that everybody is fighting for the same why is incredibly important. Great. 
three more to go. How to keep momentum, passion, and enthusiasm to keep a board strong and engaged? I think really quickly, one is, you know, respect their time commitment. If you say that, you know, it's five hours a month, don't all of a sudden expect a 10 or 12 hour commitment every month. Be upfront with what the time commitment is and what their expectations is. Make sure to celebrate and recognize the time that they're giving to the organization. And remember as well, like these people are volunteering their time and um, board meetings have to have a little bit of fun and enjoyment to them as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. My favorite saying is someone that feels appreciated will always do more than is asked. And I think that is true of board members as well. So being able to show them appreciation as well as, you know, having the sh sharing the stories, having client testimonies, having them see the programs at ground level um, definitely keeps passion. All right. So second how last. How can I engage community and involvement or volunteerism within board members? This is this is hard because board members are usually working professionals, so this can be tricky. Um, but I liked what you had said about inviting your uh, frontline staff to the board meetings to share um, their programs. Uh, I think job shadowing is really important. Um, in January, we're starting a job shadow shadowing sign up. So each board member will job shadow one um, coordinator of our program for a couple hours and then report back on all the different programs. I think, you know, if, if they are volunteering, sharing your stuff on Facebook, reaching their circles with your mission and just emote passion for the programming and for your mission um, that is that is very contagious and the community will really know and I think that itself is rewarding and will keep them engaged you have anything to add to that I don't think so other than you really left the most thrilling question to last <laughs> I don't ever want to end on this note but all right how do you educate members on legal obligations without scaring them off? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, in some ways, I think it's just you need, you need to make sure that that's built into the orientation and people understand that being on a board does come with some legal obligations. And, you know, as you're talking about it, also being like, and don't worry, you know, we have, a, we have direct liability insurance. Hopefully it's never needed. Um, but I think it's making clear what the expectations are, because, again, there's many people who sign up for a board that actually have no idea that they are actually the legal identity of that organization. Mm -hmm. And in some cases can actually be held personally responsible if things at the organization do not go well. Uh, you know, you don't pay your payroll remittance. The board is ultimately responsible as individuals are ultimately responsible for that to government still. So I think it is understanding what the role of the board is. Um, and and again, just not doing it in a way that's threatening, but making sure people are aware. Mm -hmm. And I think even myself, I need to do a better job of this and also making them prevy to the risk management piece and, and what risks could be. I loved uh, Big Brother's tagline. It was a little bit difficult, but it said, prepare, you know, for what what is going to be, not what if, you know, yeah. like 
and and so being in that mindset to be prepared um who's your spokesperson you know do little practices and scenarios of if if things were to um have some inherited risk and what are the processes and especially insurance lots of board members don't know that they're covered so that's a really important piece too so all in all Tim, thank you so much for wrapping up all of these questions. Um, and we're very excited to launch this. And e I will send an email link to all of the attendees, as well as hopefully all of these people's question also resonate with our audience and our listeners. Hopefully, and again, if, if people have additional questions, we're, we're always willing to chat. Throw a, a message on our Facebook or on our Instagram page. Uh, we love to hear from you. Make sure to to give us a rating, hopefully five stars. Uh, give us a review. And uh, I know we were talking about we have some time off that actually a line coming up. So uh, we will definitely have one more episode before Christmas. Uh, but a huge thank you to everyone who submitted their questions. This was a really, I think, uh, great way to break up the conversation on fundraising uh, and just to be able to to talk about kind of another area we haven't really talked about uh, in the nonprofit sector, and that is the the important role that the boards play uh, in the organizations. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, don't forget, if you happen to be in the Lacombe area, grab your nacho burger before December thirty first. Also, give it a Google review because we want it to stay on the menu. There we go. We'll, <laughs> stay uh, tuned. Tell them, tell them, Crystal sent you. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, again, thank you to everyone for tuning in. I know this is a little bit of a longer episode, uh, but we look forward to chatting next time. Mm -hmm.